Man, so good to be here. Isn't it nice to gather together um, uh, on a morning like this? Uh, I don't know um, where you came from or how you got here or why you were here, but I know that as we're together, we are going to be diving into God's word. So we are thankful for those who call this place home and for the guests uh, who are with us in the, uh, in the room as well. And so if you have uh, your Bible, go ahead and open them up to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Uh, and I'm going to say this, and let, let's build on this this morning, okay? Um, our lives are like a bookshelf with bookends on either side of, of the shelf. Now, between each bookend is a series of books, and those books are telling different stories in our life. Some of them are full of tragedy. Some of them are full of joy and love. Uh, some of it is our personal biography. Uh, some of it is filled with medicine and, and food and, and history. Um, some stories we love to tell, and yet there are other stories that are sitting on our shelf that we would rather nobody ever read. But every one of those books on our shelf has a beginning, and it has an ending as well. And here's what I would argue this morning, and I think that we're going to talk about and build on this morning, is that although that there may be these beautiful bookends that keeps the book of your lives from toppling over on each, on, on each corner, everything that happens between those bookends is what actually matters. Let me, let me say that again. You've got bookends on each side of your shelf, but it's the stuff in between those bookends, the stories, the living, the life that actually matters in, in our life. And so let me ask you this question. How are things going between the bookends of your life? How are, how are things going? How have they been going? Um, we're gonna cover a lot this morning in uh, Mark chapter 14. We're actually gonna finish 14, and if you look at it from where we left off last week, there's still a large chunk left. But what I wanna do is I wanna focus in on Peter. We're gonna lock in on him because uh, the way that Mark writes the rest of chapter 14 is that there are these two bookend moments of Peter's life where he is just struggling, man. Like he is struggling to figure out how do I live out the conviction of my faith in Jesus in this world that is giving, getting ever darker and, and closing in on me. And sometimes when you and I are stumbling around and we are making mistakes, we think that maybe that we're, we're the only one, right? That we're the only one who struggles with the thing that we're struggling with and nobody else struggles the same way that we do or at least the thing that they're struggling with isn't as heavy as the thing that I'm struggling with. And we want to start maybe then to isolate our, ourselves. And then we start to back away from people and we back away from church family that has been so instrumental in helping us grow at different seasons of, of our life. And we don't want that for any of us that are sitting in the room right now. And so let's frame this morning in bookends and let's look at Peter's struggle and see if there's not something in his struggle that might be helpful for us who are in here, okay? If you are a believer in the room right now, and I'm under uh, no, um, no guys that maybe uh, that we have some who haven't yet trusted Jesus in the room, but if you're a believer, every one of you, you've had a moment where you looked at Jesus <clears throat> and you said, yes, right? You said, yes, I admit that I am a sinner. You've done the old ABC thing. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and that after he died for my sin as a substitution for me, he rose from the grave three days later. I believe that and I accept him into my life <clears throat> so that I can follow him. That's the desire of my heart. I want to follow him for the rest of my life. Every believer in this room right now, 
has had that moment. Now, the words may have been different. It may not have been like the ABC kind of a formula there, but the declaration of your faith in Jesus should be there if you're a believer in Christ. So there is a bookend on your shelf that should read something like this. The declaration of faith or my stake in the ground, my conviction, the moment that I trusted Jesus, it's where we say that we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to live with him and we're going to stand by that declaration of, of faith. And then, because we live in the real world where we know what Jesus said in the scripture is playing out in reality, where he says, in this world you're going to have trouble, we say, you better believe it, we're going to have trouble. And we're in the midst of it. There's another bookend that is labeled the practice of our faith. And it's where we see um, how we're doing at living out the conviction of our faith. It's the practice of our faith. And so you have this declaration of faith that says, yes, Jesus, I'm in, I wanna follow you. And then you have this walk out of this declaration of our faith and the practice of our faith. And in between those two bookends, what we have is this thing called life. A lot of life that gets lived with things and circumstances that are often and mostly out of our control. And that life then has circumstances that comes along with it, things that impact how we live out our faith. Circumstances that we would rather not be dealing with. Things that creep in, things that show up, funerals that we have to attend, um, weddings that we didn't want to attend, um, pain that we watch our kids walk through and our siblings walk through. There's a lot of circumstances that begin to pop in and it affects how we live out our faith. And I would say it's what happens between the bookends of those decisions where our faith is lived out. Pastor Chuck Swindoll says it like this. He says that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react to that. Isn't that so true? Like, do we take it as it comes or do we overreact? Do we underreact? How, how, 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react. So how do we react to life when it's out of our control? Look at Mark 14, verse 26. <clears throat> when they had sung a hymn, which was customary as they were wrapping up Passover, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you all fall away for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Oh, all of them said the same declaration of faith and conviction that Peter says in this moment. Now we're finishing up the, the last supper here with the disciples. And so Mark tells us that after the dinner, they leave the upper room and they're walking to the Mount of Olives, which isn't that far. It's actually at maximum a couple miles away from, from the city gates. And you walk down through the Kidron Valley and you're there, you're at the foot of the, the Mount of Olives. It's a beautiful place. Um, <clears throat> and Mark, he could have told us a thousand stories that Jesus talks about on this way. John actually gives us all kinds of things that Jesus talks about in this moment. But he doesn't wanna talk about everything that John talks about. He's got one thing for us to know. You know what he wants us to, you know what he wants to talk about and he wants for us to know? He wants to talk about Peter's struggle. He wants to talk about the struggle to live out what he says he believes here. 
Now, in, in the world that we live in, in the lives and the, the make-believe and the filters and the social media and, and all the things that we're walking through, we want to pretend sometimes like life is easy for us and that there aren't really struggles that we have in our faith. We want to act like we've got it all together. But the Bible shows us that there are so many times in so many different places that there are people who are just like you and me who wake up every morning, just like us, and they've got the best of intentions, but then they hit traffic. <laughs> and then once they hit traffic, all, 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 all chaos breaks loose. And that changes everything. You, you, guys, you guys ever like lose your cool when you're sitting in traffic? Um, when uh, the person in front of you is driving 40 and a 70, right? Like you just are about to lose it and you're running late for work. You're like, get out of my way. Why don't you just get out of your car and start walking, right? Like 80 gets nuts sometimes, and then I'm like, well, I'll just go a little bit faster. I'll get on six, and then you get behind a combine or something like that, right? And, and then you get there two days late. Thank you, farmers. We love you. <clears throat> My daughter said she wants to drive when she's 14. I said, uh, no, you can drive when you're 40, all right? Because there were a lot of mad people who had the best of intentions when they woke up, and then they got out on the road, and things changed. Okay, you can drive when you're 40. Mark says, look at Peter here. He says, check this out. Look at verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it's written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is giving a hint back to Zechariah 13 verse 7 that says essentially the same thing. He says, awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus is saying. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. The word fall away there, going back to verse 27 in, in chapter 14 of Mark, it, it means to take offense at someone. It means to uh, take offense at something and to take so much offense that you are willing to turn away from that thing, to, to go in a completely opposite direction. And so after spending every day and night with Jesus for, for three years, Jesus said that every single one of these disciples who have been walking with him, that they are going to deny him. They're going to deny that they have any association whatsoever with him. And they were going to essentially turn away. They're going to turn their backs and they're going to walk in the opposite direction of the direction that he is going. And when Jesus says that, it hits a nerve with Peter. It strikes down to his core. And Peter jumps up with remarkable, remarkable maturity. And he says, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. That's never going to happen. It, it, it's not. And he makes this declaration of faith in verse 29. Peter said to him, even though they, and he looks at these other disciples, he says, even though they all fall away, I will not. Now, let's be honest. When we hear a statement like that and other bold statements that other people say, statements of faith, we want to applaud Peter. We want to applaud other people who, who just have such boldness and our heart resonates with that. Right? As a Christ follower, because we know that in our spirit that God didn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity, right? But he gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And so somewhere inside of us, we have this courage and this boldness. And as we were talking about earlier, a lion in our chest that resonates with Peter. And we make these bold declarations too with the best of intentions. We say things like, even if I'm the last one standing, I will never go against God. Even if I'm the last one standing, I would die for him. <clears throat> and that sounds really good, doesn't it? 
I mean, those statements sound really good, but we have to be careful here because I think there's a spiritual pride and an arrogance that's popping up in Peter here that we don't often talk about. He says, everybody else might be weak. They may not have all, they may not all have the stomach to follow you the way that I do. They may fall away, but I never will. I'm incapable of making a mistake. I'm incapable of running away. I can't fall. Do you see the danger of a statement like this that Paul's making or, or that Peter is making here? It, it, it assumes that you're the only one who has the guts to be faithful while everybody else is a bunch of chicken livers, right? My faith has the ability to stand, but nobody else does. I'm the one who does it right all the stinking time. Although the bravado, it resonates in my heart and it calls me to action, we've got to be careful when we start beating a drum like that that says I'm the only one. The apostle Paul said it like this, he said, when we begin to think that we're too big to fall, be, be careful because that landing is extremely hard. It says, take heed lest you fall. Anybody ever make a bold statement like that? Nobody's gonna raise their hand after that, right? We've got the best of intentions, don't we? Our, our hearts really are in the right place. So many of us who are sitting in the room right now, we've walked out of some pretty crazy things. And we've rightly said, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm never going back to that. Like, I've been set free from that. I'm not going back. I'm never doing that thing again. I'm never smoking that stuff again. I'm never drinking that drink again. I'm never popping that pill again. I'm never experimenting with that thing again. Only to find out that as desperately as we wanted to stay away from it, we sadly walk right back into it. Talking to anybody right now? Why is that? It's because we're still human. And on this side of eternity, we're still dealing with something that scripture calls our flesh. And there's always this chance that we could blow it. So I've got mentors who have said, man, we are just one step away from wrecking our lives, making a huge mistake. Now, nobody wants to think like that. Nobody, everyone wants to think that, that, we're, like, that, we're, that we would never walk away. We would never do that thing. But there's always this chance that we could blow it because of the flesh that we're walking in. That's why scripture says over and over again that we are supposed to guard our heart. In the, same, in the same evening, Jesus says that night that the spirit is willing, but the, the flesh, the flesh, it's weak. This thing that has desires, this thing that has wants, this thing that has needs. You are perfected in your spirit and there's nothing that can touch that as a believer in Christ. But the flesh, man, that will wreck you in an instant. Will it not? And, and, and we're called to guard our hearts. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that you may want to do the right thing. Sometimes you don't. Some, sometimes you don't. You ever experienced that? The, the apostle Paul talked about this in Romans 7. And he says, guys, listen, the, the good that I want to do, those are the things that I, that I don't do. And in fact, what actually ends up happening is I do the things that I don't want to do. What's wrong with me? He says, this wretched man that I am. And he just throws it all out there. And couldn't that be any one of our stories in the room right now? It could be any of us. We've all had that moment where we're just like, man, what the heck just happened? I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be around there. How did that come out of me? Am I right? Guys, this is Paul who wrote that. And Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. And if he said that I'm struggling with not blowing it, there's probably a pretty good chance that we're going to struggle too. Would you agree? I think so. It's the flesh. Read Romans 7 if you want to know more about, about the flesh. Um, it's pretty intense. Um, 
I don't think I'll ever forget this. Uh, I had recently given my life to Christ, and, and I said, I'm done with all of that stuff. I, I'm, I'm done. And I was at work one day with, uh, uh, with my coworkers, and some of my old party buddies walked into uh, the room. And uh, we were talking, chatting or whatnot, and uh, they, they left. And on their way out, they flipped me the bird. They, they, you know, they, they, they flipped me off, you know. They, they gave me language without words. And, and I was like, what was that all about, you know? And it's, they're doing it in jest. And all of a sudden, instinctively, without even thinking about it, I just flipped my hand up and I flipped the bird right back at them. And I was like, whoa, where did that even come from? I, I didn't want to do that. So, and so I took my hand and I, and I tucked it back into my pocket. And I'm like, where did that come from? The, the flesh dies hard, it dies hard. And it's very easily resurrected when we don't guard our hearts. Jesus said, you are all going to fall away. All of you are going to take off and you're going to leave. Peter says, nah, not me. And Jesus says, wait and see. I'm going to jump out of order the text here. Um, and we're going to go to verse 66. Would you meet me there? We're, we're talking about bookends here, okay? We have the declaration of our faith. And then we have the practice of our faith. And there's a lot of life that's in between there. And so for the context, there's a lot that happens before we get to verse 66. And we'll swing back around here in a minute. But for our purposes here, Peter makes his bold declaration. And then after that, you see Jesus, he goes to the garden uh, to pray in Gethsemane. And he is just so stressed out. And we see this affliction that he is feeling as he's um, coming under the weight of knowing that he's going to feel the full weight of God's wrath. That's going to be poured out on him on the cross. And so he's in the garden praying. They're falling asleep. And then you have this weasel Judas who sneaks in. And uh, he, uh, he gives the sign. He gives the kiss on the cheek. And, and the mob comes and they arrest him. And then he goes and he stands before Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time. And he is pretty much beaten all night long until he was sent into town in the next morning. That's all gone down. And Jesus... Or just like Jesus said, they've all left him. The shepherd was struck and the sheep scattered. And now you have this mob that's taking Jesus to Caiaphas' house. And Peter, he's trailing behind. Uh, he's running behind in the distance so that nobody can see him. And so Jesus now makes his way into the house with Caiaphas and all the other guards and the mob who's there. It's late at night. There's a courtyard outside of Caiaphas' house where Caiaphas' secret service guards were posted up, making sure that everything stays safe. The guards are warming their hands in some of the fire pits. Uh, Peter is warming his hands in the fire pits as well. And there are more people who are uh, scattered around throughout the, the courtyard. And there's a servant girl there who sees Peter. And there's something familiar about him that she recognizes. And she says, hey, hey, I, I know you. You were with that man tonight. You, you were with, with that man, Jesus, just earlier. <clears throat> You're one of those Galileans. Look at verse 66. Uh, Peter, he's going to deny knowing Jesus. And see if you can count how many times Peter denies knowing Jesus here. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. <laughs> but he denied it. That's number one saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out of the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. 
What number are we on? It's number two. He's denied twice. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. How many times is that as a denial? Three times. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Jesus said that Peter was going to deny him three times. And how many times does Peter deny Jesus out here in this courtyard trying to save his own bacon? Three times, right? Don't forget in this instant, this isn't just some rando off the street who's denying knowing Jesus. This is Peter. This is one of Jesus' best friends, if not his best human friend while he's on earth. And he just denied even knowing Jesus three times. And even so, he invoked a curse on himself. He would have been saying something like, I don't bleep and know this man. If I'm lying, then I hope to die. If I am lying, you could take my life right now. And then you hear a rooster crow. And then you hear another rooster crow. When do roosters normally crow? They crow during the day, don't they? It's not normally a nighttime thing. And so now you have this phenomenon that Jesus has already predicted that there is a rooster who's crowing, signifying that Peter has denied his best friend. And Peter just breaks down and he sobs. How could something like this happen? How could Peter go from making this audacious uh, audacious declaration? I would die for you. I would die for you. I would even, uh, before I would ever deny you, to blowing it and sitting there sobbing with his hands in, uh, with his face in his hands, realizing what he had just done. How does something like that happen? It's the stuff that every one of us in here battle with, right? Every single day. It's the stuff between the bookends. It's life. It's the circumstances. And those circumstances aren't static. They are always changing. And you're never ready for a circumstance to change. It always takes you off guard. We have this declaration of faith and you have the practice of your faith and we have all of these life experiences there in the middle and it impacts how we live out our faith. It impacts how we practice our faith. Think about it. What is it for you that makes it hard for you to to follow Jesus? Believer in Christ, I'm talking to you. What is it for you that makes it difficult for you to live out the declaration of your faith? You make your stake in the ground, I'm with Jesus, but then you bump into some things. I would say that for most of us, it's the circumstantial stuff that bothers us the most, right? Like there are questions, there are things, but I would say that's it's the circumstantial stuff. Uh, I had something, my circumstances changed, and I lost it. Um, and so God can't be good if he would give me something and then just take it away from me like that. And so my, God gave me a child and I lost that child, whether it be towards death or it be towards just running in an opposite direction. And if God would do that, he can't be good. My spouse left me, whether it be the circumstances of your relationship or whether it be that they were physically passed away, you had something and then you lost it. Your diagnosis, you had health, and then all of a sudden now your health is failing and it's fading. The circumstances are changing. My depression that I work with every single day, I don't know what to do with it. My car was repoed. The circumstances are changing and they come when you least expect it. Or maybe it's the persecution around us. If you haven't noticed, there's a huge cultural shift that's taken place. Um, And the thought uh, that what God says in his word about how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to stand for and how we're supposed to show love, if you haven't noticed, it doesn't really connect well with our culture, does it? 
Our culture seems to be backwards right now. And so it becomes tough to stand firmly on the foundation of what our declaration of Jesus is. Now, now watch how this works. So now we are in the crosshairs of what I want to believe and what I want to follow in my heart and what it's going to personally cost me in order to live that out. You catch that? I want to follow, I want to live, I've made a declaration, but now what is it going to cost me? My flesh, my position, my social life, and so on. And so I know what I want to do, I just don't know if I want to pay the high cost of what it takes to do what I want to do. That's what Peter's dealing with here. He said, I would die for you. All these other chumps may walk away, but not me. But now he's out here in the courtyard trying to make sure that he's not going to jail so that he's not beaten like Jesus is being beaten while he's on the inside of that house. Look quickly at the circumstances that changes Peter's mind here. Verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul was very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch and going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. We were passing over so much good stuff here. And he came and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to say to him, what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour's come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus is in the most distress that he has humanly been in up to this point. And what Mark is doing in this text, he is showing us that in the most needy moments of Jesus' human life, not even one of his closest friends is gonna be by his side. He's effectively going through this torment and the torment of the cross in the future. He is going to this alone and he is sent there by the religious leaders. There's nobody there by his side. And can't you feel that? Can't you feel the distress that Jesus is walking in and going all alone? Don't you know, like sometimes when you're going through something, it's one thing to go through it alone. But when you have, when you have a battle buddy with you going through it, when you have a friend or you have a circle of friends, when you have a community group, when you have a life group, when you've got people who love you going through it with you, it doesn't change the fact that it hurts. But it, but it takes the sting away just a little bit to know that you're not alone, doesn't, doesn't it? Mark is saying Jesus is going through every single bit of this all by himself. And he says something in verse 38 that I want you to highlight or underline in, in your Bibles there. It says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you scroll back to verse 37, here, here's what uh, here, Jesus, he's talking to Peter. He's singling out Peter saying, can't you stay awake? Can't, can't you do this? Stay awake, pray, watch out, be careful, look out what's going on. Uh, and it's almost like he's saying, if you're really with me, this is how you're going to do it. And I think what Jesus says to Peter here and to the rest of the disciples who are in earshot of what Peter is saying, um, really helps us in the declaration of our faith and the practice of our faith and how we live this life out in between the two. And so I, I wanna throw this up there. How do we live out our faith between these two bookends? 
okay? Three ways. Watch out, pray, and for heaven's sake, don't look for trouble because it's going to find you on its own. Jesus says to Peter, watch out, be alert. See, don't be naive. There's an enemy who's lurking around, roaring like a lion, ready to seek and to devour you. Spiritual danger is out there and it's real. So don't act like it doesn't exist. See, watch out, be on guard. What, is, what has he been saying in chapter 13 and now in chapter 14? He keeps saying, look out, be on guard, watch out. There is an enemy out there. Keep guard of your heart. And he says, pray. Prayer is necessary. It's necessary because it, it, it is you and me acknowledging that we are not our own savior. When we refuse to pray, we were saying that I've got it. I can handle life all on my own. Everything that I'm walking through, I've got it. But when we take time to pray, we're saying I'm not my own savior. That we would be, become aware that we are dependent on God. And so we call on him to intervene on our behalf. And then he says, for heaven's sake, don't look for trouble. Temptation will find you. Don't go looking for it. Listen, guys and gals, um, here's the thing. For any of you who romanticize about how, it would act, how you would act when temptation comes your way, and you're wondering if you might be strong enough when it shows up, when it's standing at your doorway, if you'd be strong enough to avoid it, if you're wondering how you're going to act when temptation knocks on your door, you're already set to fail. If you're romanticizing the idea of how it's going to go, you are set up to fail. There was a long line of people who had the best of intentions but did not guard their hearts. And what did they do? They fell headlong into sin. There is a whole list of Proverbs that says, be wise. Don't put yourself in situations that are, that are going to lead you to fall. Guard your heart. Get away from it. And so if you're ready, if you're prayed up, you've got a better chance at standing. Don't think about romanticizing the idea of what it would be like. Paul says, pray. Don't forget about it. Pray about what is going to happen and how you can guard against it. Prayer gives us power when we would otherwise be weak. Let's keep reading here. The pressure keeps building in verse 43, and we're getting close to land in this baby, okay, for y'all who are worried about it. <clears throat> and immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. <laughs> and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew a sword and struck the servant of the, the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? They weren't brave enough to do this while he was in the temple. They weren't brave enough during the daylight. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Why is everybody running away from Jesus right now? Because the circumstances are changing. The pressure is getting tighter. It's not easy on them anymore. Judas comes with a mob of people who were sent there by the religious leaders. They've got swords and they've got clubs. It looks like something that you'd see out of Fight Club or something out of like a Mad Max movie or something like that. And he kisses Jesus on the cheek like a dirty snake. And the mob grabs Jesus. And apparently the disciples, they came strapped and they were ready for this moment because one of them lops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus says, relax, 
let the scriptures be fulfilled. It's time. This has to happen like this. It has to go down like this. Here's what I want you to see in verse 50. Every single one of them fled. They all left him and fled, and he was left alone. What do you think becomes the most important thing to these disciples right now in this moment? Do you think it's their declaration to, to follow Jesus no matter what? They all said, we'll follow you, we'll die with you. Do you think that's the most important thing to them right now? Or the desire of their flesh, their own comfort, their own safety, not going to the gallows with Jesus in this moment? Do you think maybe when Jesus said, pray and stay awake in the garden, do you think if they would have actually stayed awake and they prayed, and we don't know this, this is speculation, do you think that this event would have happened the way that it, that it happened? Do you think that they would have ran away from Jesus in this moment? Or do you think that maybe they would have had resolve in, in this moment? Let's ask the same question of us. When there's struggle and there's trouble and things aren't going the way that you expect and they're out of your control and everything just feels so overwhelming. For you all who pray in the room, when you pray, does it strengthen your resolve to stand? Does it strengthen your ability to be bold? Does it give you the confidence to, to literally ride or die with Jesus? Prayer gives us power when we would otherwise be weak. It gives us the ability to stand and to be bold. Jesus says, watch out, be alert, pray. Don't go looking for trouble. And in verse 53 through 65, you see Jesus taken to Caiaphas. He's thrown into jail. He's delivered to be crucified. Read that section when you get home. How could Peter go from saying, I'm all in with Jesus to denying him? Not once. Not twice, but three times. He looked at his flesh. Looked at his flesh. And, and what his flesh wanted was safety. What his flesh wanted had nothing to do with Jesus in this moment. Instead of looking at what Jesus wanted for him in this moment, it's the bookends. It's the stuff between the bookends where our faith is lived out. Now, thankfully, God doesn't leave Peter in this distress. After the resurrection, Jesus goes and he restores. Peter Lonnie gave a talk about this uh, several months ago that was fascinating. Um, go back and listen to it if you didn't listen to it. It was fantastic to see Peter restored. Um, and to see him restored is so comforting for us, isn't it? Um, because if you've jacked up the space between your declaration of faith and where you're living your life right now, you need to know that there is grace for you. There is grace for you. Jesus still wants you. Listen to that. Jesus still wants you. You are not cast out and cast out forever. Your story isn't over. Jesus still wants you. You can still be in the family. You can still have a seat at the table. The good news is that if there is breath in your lungs, your story isn't over. So how is your book going to end? Where are you living out the practice of your faith in the way that their circumstances are changing. How is your story going to end? Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, thanks for <laughs> time in your word. And as always, I just always feel so inadequate to open this because I'm a man who struggles. I see Peter and <laughs> I resonate with him because um, he's just a man who's trying to figure it out. And eventually he does. He gets it going and um, your spirit is placed inside of him and he becomes a fantastic man of God, preacher, and uh, sharing the gospel all over the place and seeing lives changed. And 
Father, my prayer for all of us in this room is that that might be our story. Is that no matter where we've been in our faith journey, no matter where we're at right now, um, that we would realize that our story's not over, that there's still life to be lived. And according to the declaration of our faith, we just really want to live it out. We want to be faithful to you. We want to be obedient to you all the way into the end. So thank you for giving your spirit to us so that we can do that. And I just pray for my friends in the room who have trusted you. God, that you would give them the boldness and the faith to keep living out their faith day in and day out when all the circumstances change. And I pray for those who are in the room right now who haven't yet trusted you, that they would taste and see just how good you are, God. They would see what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And that he's getting ready to just go through the um, ridiculous torment of the cross and that he would do that for us. I pray that my friends who don't know you yet would see that, embrace it, they would believe and they would give their lives to you and follow you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.